Our, uh, we begin a new sermon series today um, called Created in the Image, Created in God's Image. And uh, a text which is, you will be very familiar with, uh, if not already, is our sermon text this morning, which is Genesis 1, 26 through 31. So hear God's word to us this morning. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all er the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Lord, we pray you teach us this morning about what it means to be a person created in your image. Uh, We pray that you would encourage us and challenge us um, and help us to understand ourselves more fully in the light of being your creatures. Um, your special creation. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is a person? What does it mean to be a human being? (laughs) Now, this is a a very straightforward question, um, but a very difficult question to answer. What is a person? What is a human being? Well, One of the answers to the question of what a human being is, is that a human being is a type of person or type of thing or being that asks questions about what kind of being or thing it is. That's one aspect of being a human being. Now, when you compare uh, humans to the rest of animal life, that is one of the ways that we're distinct. Dogs and cats and elephants and monkeys Um, They're not sitting around asking questions about themselves, their own identity, who they are. Um, Your dog is not asking, what does it mean to be a dog? He's not reflecting on the nature and essence of dogginess. If you were able to communicate with your dog some way and be like, what is a dog? What is your identity as a dog? What does it feel like being a dog? Um, no, No doubt he would stare back at you and ask you for a treat. And then go on with his business, right? Um, Aside from humans, no other animal that at least we're aware of um, asks this kind of question, is self-reflective about its own nature. Um, Takes, I mean, the rest of animal life, it just lives by instinct. It just takes their their nature for granted. And so human beings are unique in that we, we ask this question, well, who am I? What does it mean to be a human being? And we see this even in the scriptures, right? The psalmist in Psalm 8, what is man 
that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. Now, when the psalmist asks this question, it's not just a, a, a question related to general knowledge about what it means to be a human, but a question related to what does it mean to be a human from God's perspective? Who are we from God's perspective as those created by God? And so what is a person? What is human nature? According to the Bible, a person is someone created in God's image. In the words of Genesis 1 from our scripture text, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is what distinguishes human beings from the rest of animal life and creation. Dogs and cats, monkeys and elephants are also created by God, but only human beings are given the image of God. All of animal life, all of inanimate creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars, um, God created and God declares good, very good, but only human beings does God create in his image. And so that word image of God, you've probably heard this word uh, imago Dei. It's the Latin uh, word for image of God. This is a familiar concept to us. There's even a church in Milwaukee named Imago Dei. So the question is, what does it mean to be Imago Dei? What does it mean to be uh, created in God's image? And the very simple answer is this. To be the image of God is to be a human being from God's perspective. It's to have a God-centered understanding of human nature. That's the importance of the image of God. Now, our capacity as human beings to reflect on our own nature, to ask questions about our identity, isn't simply kind of a speculative pastime or curiosity. There's actually great moral and spiritual urgency to the question, who am I? What is a human? What is a person? As a, soci as a society, we are undergoing pretty dramatic transformations in terms of our understanding of what it means to be human. These are things that have been in the works for, for nearly a century, if not longer, but the fruit and maturity of these transformations of what it means to be human are, are is starting to come to maturity and uh, present themselves in our broader culture. All the great culture war debates in America today are really debates and conflicts over what it means to be human. There are conflicts over the nature of what it means to be a person. Um, every moral position <laughs> presupposes an understanding of human nature. Every moral and ethical position presupposes an understanding of human nature. So think about abortion, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, racism, the role that technology should or should not play in augmenting our, our life and our natures, right? Social media even. All of these things presume an understanding of what it means to be a person, right? And all the great debates and the different sides of the debates and these, these different social moral issues are really conflicting visions of the person. So the concept of the image of God is important in this regard. It is very familiar to us and yet I think that we have a hard time um, simply, we, 
It's like we have this general sense of what it is, but we actually become pretty inarticulate and uncertain of how it actually applies on all these different issues. Um, the goal of this series is to gain um, a renewed vision of what it means to be the image of God. That's the, that's the goal, um, to, to, to have a renewed vision of what, what it means to be a person, creating God's image, and then on the basis of this understanding to apply this to a number of major issues related to in our, in our culture and in the way we think about ourselves as human beings. And the way that I'll do this, the way we'll do this is through an in-depth exploration of the image of God, especially in the light of Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, in the book of Genesis, it's 50 chapters, but chapters 1 through 11 are kind of its own genre. It's, it's called the, the primeval history. And um, it's in the light of this is that you get the stories of human origins and the beginning of human civilization. And the, the, the idea of the image of God functions pretty importantly in these stories. And so we'll be exploring the image of God, especially in the light of Genesis 11, 1 through 11. But I want to remind you that in, this, in the fall, we had a sermon series um, called Conform to the Image of Christ. And in that series, I explored with you the meaning of human nature um, in the light of redemption in Jesus Christ. So we looked at how Jesus is the true human being. He comes not only to reveal God and God's deity, but he actually comes to reveal to us what it means to be a human being. And salvation is Jesus, in a sense, rehumanizing us, restoring our true humanity. And full redemption, consummation, is when our natures are completely conformed to his. Now, you might consider this series to be something of a prequel. Um, created in the image of God, we will explore the, the image of God and what it means to be human more in the light of creation and a doctrine of creation rather than doctrine of redemption. We'll ask this question of what did God originally intend for human beings? What is our nature? What does it mean to have a nature, a human nature, to be a creature? And how does the fall and sin affect human nature? But I want to be really clear up front is that even though we're going to be focusing on creation texts, we can't leave Jesus behind, right? We can never leave Jesus behind. Remember that not only is Jesus the redeemer of human nature, he was the original author of it as well. Uh, recall what Paul says in Colossians about Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authority, all things were created for him and through him. So, human beings, we are created through Jesus and for Jesus. And so even if we, as we focus on human nature in the light of creation, we must never forget the centrality of Jesus Christ as the key to our humanity, our redemption, but also our creation. So this, this sermon is a general overview sermon, um, and I want to orient you to this, this idea of the, the category of the image of God, especially in the light of Genesis 1 and 2. Defining the content 
of the image of God is actually somewhat complicated. And so I want to complicate it a little bit for you and then maybe try to uncomplicate it. Um, so as much as we talk about the image of God in the church and in, even in broader culture, you would expect there to be um, a lot of references in the Bible to the image of God. But there's actually very few. <laughs> There are only two explicit references to the image of God in the book of Genesis. Chapter 1 and then chapter 9. And there are only allusions to it in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. Now, for this reason, a lot of scholars and, and theologians think that we put too much emphasis on the image of God um, and that we shouldn't pay as much attention to it as we, as we do. Um, that's not my position, but I think it's important to say that what needs to be said about what it means to be human in the Bible, there's more that needs to be said than simply is captured by this category, the image of God. So I'm not limiting our, our discussion of human nature to the image of God, but the image of God I think is really important because it's, it's a very helpful organizing concept. And I think it's especially important when you look at it in the, where it emerges in Genesis and how it fits to orient us to our place within God's bigger story of creation. So in the tradition, when it comes to defining the Christian tradition, when it comes to defining the meaning and content of the image of God, there's three primary ways. And I just want to briefly mention them to you, that the image of God has been interpreted. The first idea is that um, to be a mago Dei is to, to have a rational nature like God. Right? Rationality is what sets us apart from animal life. And by rationality, it's more than just reasoning, but the idea of consciousness and freedom. These are things that distinguish us from animal life. Right? This is a very um, prominent interpretation of the image of God. Uh, the second one that's especially come to light in, in the modern era, but I, has roots also in the patristic era, the early church era as well, is the idea that to be the image of God is to to have a relational nature like God. You remember in the beginning where it says, let us create God in our image and our likeness. A lot of theologians will see there a, a, a preview of the Holy Trinity, right? That God is not a solitary being. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as God is a relational being, human beings are relational, right? So that's one understanding of the image of God. The third one is the... The image as refers to our vocational calling and status in creation. So the idea here is that human beings are called to, to be fruitful and multiply and to exercise dominion and authority over all creation, right? So vocational calling and status, relational nature and rationality. These are the three different ways that theologians tend to, to uh, to see this. And, and I think they're all true in one way or another, and they're not mutually exclusive to one another. But I think they're problematic um, in that what they try to do is they, they tend to want to find like the essence of the image in the person. They're trying to locate something in human nature that sets us apart uh, from the rest of creation, right? And it's, it could either be a capacity or, or um, an attribute like reason or a quality in human nature. Um, 
And I think this is not how Genesis 1 and how that, the, the language of image of God works in the text. It's not about locating something in human nature that we can say, ah, this piece, this part of me, I have a soul or a spirit or rationality or relationality that makes me different and relates me to God, but actually it has to do, um, the purpose of the image of God language is about us finding our place, our place in God's story. Um, It's not about locating something special within us, but locating us in a special way within the creation. The image of God is about us finding our place in the story of creation, right? So that's, so it's more of a narrative understanding of the image of God when it's used. It's trying to situate us in the story of creation. So let me, let me sort of draw this out a little bit more by trying to get a little deeper into what, what the Genesis, how Genesis sees this, right? So one of the things that stands out, and if we're really just limiting our reflection on the image of God to Genesis 1 and 2, is the way that language of image captures, um, distinguishes us from the rest of animal life, and is that, that we uniquely presence God within the whole of creation. That the image here evokes this idea that God has chosen to relate to creation through human beings. That the images are presencing of God in creation. That we, in a sense, represent God, and we mediate God's ruling presence within the rest of creation. Um, now, it's helpful to understand a little bit of background of, of, of the Genesis stories in their ancient Near Eastern context. So there are all kinds of creation stories about how the world came about. And one of the common themes and images um, of these creation stories was the ways in which a king, in particular male king, was like an image of one of the gods. And that this king was like a, you know, a vice regent and ruled in God's stead. And so the image of the king was representative of God and God's ruling of creation, right? So, so this is a common theme that you see in a lot of different um, creation stories around the same time that Genesis was written. And what the writer of Genesis does, which is interesting, he takes that idea of image, but he doesn't limit it to just to the king, the male king, he actually applies it to all human beings and says basically all human beings, male and female, universally are created in the image of God. And all of us, in a sense, have this this status as representatives that presence God within creation. Now just look, if you look at where uh, the image language comes up, the most immediate meaning is connected with this way. So look at verse 26. Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Right? You see that connection between the image of God and the language of ruling. Uh, This again is affirmed in Psalm 8, which is really a commentary on Genesis 1. So you see, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and over all, and put all things under his feet. Okay. Now, when we hear this description of the image of God, it's easy for us to 
to really just zero in on the ruling authority piece. And this, again, is the basis for what that one category I talked about is the image of God as being our vocational position. Um, that's where this, that comes from. But we tend to focus on the ruling and authority piece, and we miss that that really connects us to the way that human beings are meant to presence God, right? And so we're meant to presence God in the world by the way we rule and govern, govern creation, the way God has put us in a really special relationship to him. And I just have to say parenthetically, right? So this is really hard for us as modern people to, to see this language of dominion and authority um, and not kind of stumble and trip over it because you know, we have, you know, we've sort of made a mess of things, right? We've created all kinds of environmental disasters and we exploit the earth and we do all these things and so I think we, rightfully so, are very cautious around really saying, you know, this is what it means to be a human being. I will come back to this in a full sermon, dealing with this later on. But I, I want you to see here that the image of God, there, there's this combination of this priestly and royal, priestly and kingly dimension, that we, in the context of creation, are meant to be like priests, kingly priests. In the ancient world, um, when you, again, you look at the Genesis narrative, the, the description of creation, God creates the heavens and the earth. And the idea and the imagery here is that the whole creation is a temple, a temple for the presence of God. And the Garden of Eden is like the Holy of Holies. The Garden of Eden is the inner sanctum of the temple, the place where God wants to dwell most fully. And who has he put in the Holy of Holies? He's put a man and a woman. He's put Adam and Eve. They are a priest and a priestess, a king and a queen. And God puts them there and says what? I want you to work it and keep it. I want you to work it and keep it. This is, the this is what it means to have dominion and authority. It's to work and to keep. It's cultivation. It's care, right? And this is language that will be used later on in the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus, keeping and, and um, working and keeping for, for worship. Human beings were meant to, in a sense, mediate God's presence to the rest of creation by working and keeping. Okay, so back up. There's, this is a lot. I know this is a lot. Uh, we'll, I will apply all this in the weeks to come in more depth about how it changes the way we think about our own lives. But I want you to see here that this question of what does it mean to find ourselves in creation? Human beings stand, in a sense, are go-betweens between heaven and earth. <laughs> Right? We're creatures. We're made from the same stuff as the rest of creation, and yet we're, we, we have dominion authority over it. We're connected with God in a way and related to God in a special way that the rest of creation is not. We're meant to be intermediaries, right? And have this role. Now, when it comes to finding um, our humanity within the story of creation, it's what should jump out to you is just the exalted status of what it means to be a human being. Again, the, the psalmist, Psalm 8 captures the truth of this embedded in the story. When I look to the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars and what you have set in place, what, a, what is a human being that you're mindful of him? And yet you've made him a little, just a little bit lower than the angels, which is actually the word is the gods, right? Heavenly, glorious beings. Made him just a little bit lower of heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. See, in creation, there are all, th there are all kinds of things that are, that are more glorious, vast, 
and overwhelming in their beauty than human nature. Like when you compare uh, a human body <laughs> to the sun or to the galaxies, what is a human, right? Seemingly insignificant, a speck of dust. And yet, amazingly, God has exalted this creature, this human, just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. The human being is the crown and the glory of God's creation. That's why it's on the sixth day, right? God saves the best for the last. So this it points to our exalted status within the created order. We live, we live in a time in history in which we, we mostly take the dignity of persons as something that's just taken for granted, um, as if it's self-evident based upon nature. Um, but it's not. It is not <laughs> self-evident based on just looking at nature that human beings have dignity and worth. The only, um, only a Christian cosmology, which is, which is what I've been describing to you, a Christian story of how things came to be, upholds the dignity of persons. Aside from the biblical story, there is no other origin stories, there's no other cosmology that you encounter that can give you a higher understanding of dignity of human nature and persons than the biblical one. <clears throat> Our belief in the Western world and the dignity of, of all persons, especially of those who are weak and vulnerable, is a Christian inheritance. You do not come to a perspective of the dignity of all human beings based upon just observing nature based upon a, a strictly materialistic understanding of how things came about, right? If you do not believe in God, that God created the universe, it's hard to see how you arrive at dignity of persons, right? Because if all things are just time and random chance and matter and energy and billions of years of an evolutionary process, which we don't understand, right? How do you, at the end of that, arrive at dignity of persons? Right? If sentient life evolved through millions and millions of years of an evolutionary process of survival of the fittest, in which only the strongest parts of species survived and the weakest and vulnerable ones died, how do you arrive at a position that the weak and vulnerable amongst human beings are worthy of dignity and respect? How do you, do, how, how do you get there? You can't. You can't. How do we arrive at meaning in human nature? See, to believe in the inherent dignity of a person, there must be something that transcends our humanity, right? Something that stands behind us and before us that secures our worth. And this is the Christian story of creation, right? This is, this is why we have this sense of dignity as persons. And again, uh, one, another psalm, Psalm 139, the psalmist sees the specialness of himself as a person and the fact that he was created by God, right? You know, familiar with this. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, and when I was ma being made in my secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance." 
In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. The knowledge of God as our creator, the one who created us is the only basis and source for our dignity and worth as human beings. Not only were we created by God, we were handcrafted. If you remember in Genesis 2, right? There's a zoom in picture of God creating that God gets is like a potter and he forms the man from the dust of the earth and he breathes into him the breath of life. Even when you get to the creation of the woman, he puts the man to sleep and he crafts the woman from the side of the man. See, when God creates the rest of things, animal life, he creates them in flocks and herds and schools. But human beings are created one at a time, right? <laughs> Ordinarily. One at a time. And again, that just the, the sense of the specialness of human beings within all creation. We were formed from the dust of the ground. But regardless of the exact process that God employed to create human beings, human beings, whether that is through a special creation or whether there is an evolutionary process involved, we can be certain of this, is that as human beings, we are God's workmanship. We are God's special created creation. And to be created in the image of God is to have worth and dignity as a person, regardless of who you are. This, is, this has to be the ground floor, right? The very first truth and principle, if we're going to talk about, you know, a moral vision as a Christian, right? Now, I want to conclude just by drawing your attention to a fundamental tension that we will have to wrestle with through the rest of this series. And it really is a tension within Genesis 1 through 11. On the one hand, we are told we are created in God's image, that we are to image forth God in the world. We are his mediating presence to all creation. But on the other hand, we learn in Genesis 3, in the story of the fall, that when we sin, when we're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's happening there is that we are trying to become like God. Right? This is even the logic that the serpent uses as he's trying to convince the woman to eat of the forbidden tree. God knows that when you eat of this tree, you'll be like him, right? See, as we read through the whole story of this, this primeval history, the logic and the outworking of human sinfulness is that we exalt ourselves to the place of God. We put ourselves into the place of God. Um, the, the, the chapter 11 ends, and it's a bit of a parable of the logic of sin. It's the story of the Tower of Babel where all human beings gather together in one spot and they build a tower up into the heavens in order to make a name for themselves. The logic of sin is to exalt ourselves into the place of God, right? But how do you reconcile this with the idea that we're meant to originally image God in the creation? Do you see the tension here, right? See, at the root of human sinfulness is a desire to be like God, to be God. And so, how do we unravel this? And I think this is just important for us to get. See, human beings were called to image forth and mediate God's presence in the world. We are called to reflect, though, his moral character. And the way we image God in the world is through righteousness and holiness and justice and love. The wrong way we image forth God in the world 
is when we seek to displace God from creation and put ourselves in its place, right? See, that's what, what is sin? Sin is, in a sense, losing your place in the story of creation. It is to misunderstand where you belong in the story of creation. It is to insert yourself into the place of God, right? Again, it goes back to this idea of, you know, I, God created us image in his image, and then we return the favor, right? We put ourselves in his place. So what is sin? At the end of the day, one of the ways to understand sin is that it is a rejection of our creatureliness. See, even though we are created in God's image, we are yet creatures. We are made from the same stuff as the rest of creation. The very same stuff, dust. And yet, God gives us his image. See, sin is basically us going beyond just being image bearers and trying to image God in the wrong way. See, that's the irony, right? Sin is like we stop imaging God in the way he wanted us to image him. In righteousness, and justice, and holiness, and love. And we started imaging God in all the wrong ways, the ways we could never do it because we're creatures. We, say, we tend to see ourselves as self-creators and put ourselves in the place of God. And the results are terrifying, right? They're truly terrifying. See, when we want to become like God in the wrong ways and we reject our creatureliness, the result is that we actually become less than human. When we, when we reject our creatureliness, our status and our proper place in creation, we become less than human. The language of idolatry in the Bible, you'll see that um, to be an idolater, to make created things into God, the, the, you know, there's always images of animals, right? That we become like beasts. <laughs> we become like animals. We become less than what God created us to be, right? We lose our dignity and we diminish ourselves and become like animals. Now, that is a very big picture vision um, and framework for what we'll be up to in the weeks to come. But I want to close just asking you this question. So how does God save us from this terrible exchange we've made, <laughs> right? We've exchanged the image of the immortal God for th things that are less than God. How does God reverse this terrible exchange? We have just finished celebrating the season of Advent and Christmas and recalls the incarnation, that the creator God, the one who created all things, becomes a creature. This is what we call the wonderful exchange, right? Sin is our terrible exchange, but salvation is God's wonderful exchange. We creatures in our sin wanted to become like God, but God in his love for us humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, and became a creature, became human, in order to restore our humanity. See, in Jesus Christ, not only is God, the nature of God revealed to us, but the true meaning of what it means to be human is revealed to us. We're created in God's image. And it's only in turning to Jesus and being found in Jesus that we recover our humanity and what it means to be his image bearers in this world. Let's close. Lord, uh, we pray that you give us a vision of what it means to be a person, what it means to be created in your image um, this morning and in the time to come. Lord, help us to be in awe of how special and how exalted we are. Help us to have a sense of the great calling and responsibility we have as your image bearers.
And Lord, forgive us and help us and restore us when we fail to be, um, to live up to the glorious calling of being image bearers and we settle for less. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.